The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. You've got the H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on those dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or the third-row seating gets your whole family in to experience the thrill together. The dual wireless charging pads make sure that no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead cell phone. Think about those adventurous activities you can do, like me taking a ski trip up with the family, maybe going on a camping expedition, anything and everything. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Hey there, it's Scary Parish. It's Friday, July 30th, 2021. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting, dodo birds, and leaky black. Cal Boone is here with me, dead leg out, strong jaw in, and the 2021 NBA draft. It's now completely in the book. 60 picks were made, some predictable, some not so much, but the top three picks. They did come off in the exact order that most predicted. Kate Cunningham, first to Detroit, Jalen Green, second to Houston, Evan Mobley, third to Cleveland. If you listen to this podcast at all, by now you know what we think of Kate Cunningham, Jalen Green, and Evan Mobley. Those were the top three players in this draft. They went in the exact order I thought they would go and thought they should go, went in the exact order Kyle thought they would go. Um, so we don't need to spend much time on that. So let's pick up after that. A little curveball at number four. Toronto passed on Jalen Suggs, took Scotty Barnes. So let's stop here for a minute, Strong Jaw. Toronto passes on Jalen Suggs for Scotty Barnes. Will the Raptors regret it? I don't think they'll regret it. Scotty Barnes is going to be a really good player. Um, you know, can guard five different positions. The way that he can create for his size, I think is is really special. He's going to be a really good NBA player. I'm just concerned that you're passing on Jalen Suggs, a guy that I think could come in and compete pretty early in, in, his, in his NBA career and kind of help alleviate the, the, the void that Kyle Lowry is probably going to leave this offseason. That to me, and maybe it's short-term, you know, short-sighted thinking on my part, but I had penciled in Suggs to number four and really didn't give much credence to the fact that they could take Scotty Barnes at number four. Uh, Toronto's a really good developmental franchise. Obviously, they're, they've been able to really make something out of Pascal Siakam. So maybe Scotty Barnes ends up being the guy that was clearly a top four player in this draft. I just think uh, if I were the Raptors at number four, I probably would have taken Jalen Suggs. If I were the Raptors at number four, I would have taken Jalen Suggs. Mm-hmm. So in that regard, I think it's a mistake. Minor, probably, but mistake. Here's the deal, though. I don't think they'll regret it either. You want to know why? Because they'll develop Scotty Barnes into something really, really good. Yeah. Because Jalen Suggs is going to Orlando. So who knows? And <laughs> like, I, I, I believe Jalen Suggs in Toronto, I'd rather have him there than Scotty Barnes there. But I was joking with somebody about this early in the week. Like, I don't know what Toronto is going to do it for. I think I know what Detroit's doing at one. Houston's doing it two. Cleveland's doing it three. Not sure exactly what Toronto's doing at number four, but I bet you whatever they do at number four, it's going to work out because they're going to be selecting a, 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 you know, a on paper, a top shelf prospect. And then they're a top shelf organization at developing their own prospects. So I don't think they'll regret it, but that doesn't necessarily mean that I think they did the right thing, if that makes sense. 
Yeah, I think that's right. And the the magic piece of this, I think, is pretty interesting, too, because there's a world in which at number five and number eight, they go and get Scotty Barnes, a really talented combo forward who really can't shoot. And then number eight, potentially Jonathan Kaminga falls to them. And as talented as he is, as physically gifted as he is, he kind of can't shoot either. So the in a way, I think Orlando kind of stumbled into something here where they ended up getting Jalen Suggs at number five and then Franz Wagner at, at number eight. I think it was pretty interesting as well. So that's the other kind of piece of this is the domino effect of, of Suggs falling out of the top four to number five, um, landing in Orlando's lap. And I think it's a really interesting fit for, for the Magic as well. And it probably made Orlando's job pretty easy. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. If they, I, I'm certain because in advance of a draft, you're going to have – every conversation you can have and play it out every which way. So if you're Orlando, you know, Kate Cunningham's not slipping to you and you know, Jalen Green's not slipping to you and you know, Evan Mobley's not slipping to you. I actually made the point on CBS sports HQ that I think Cleveland had the easiest pick of the night because, you know, even if you're Detroit and you're picking first, you got to think about, you got to at least think about Kate Cunningham, Evan Mobley, Jalen Green. You got to, you got to go, you, you probably end up where you thought you were going to be and they ended up where we all thought they were going to be, but you at least got to think about it. And if you're picking second and Cunningham's off the board, you got to think about Jalen Green and Evan Mobley. Like you got to really have hard conversations about that. I went back and forth on that though. I ultimately landed on Jalen Green and so did Houston. But if you're Cleveland and those two guys off the board, I think your job's easy. You just take Evan Mobley. Like I don't even, I don't think you have a conversation about that at all. And to a lesser extent at Orlando, once Jalen Suggs is on the board at five. I am certain that they discussed that possibility. Even if they thought it was unlikely, they, they listen, Toronto might take Scotty Barnes. And if they do, Jalen Suggs is there. What are we doing? Because we do have some interesting young guards in our, in our, uh, on our roster, in our franchise. Uh, so I, I bet they thought it was unlikely, but I'm certain they discussed it. And I bet you they knew well in advance of that moment, if Jalen Suggs falls to us, after Cunningham, Green, and Mobley are off the board, uh, we don't need to have much of a conversation while we're on the clock. We're taking Jalen Suggs. And so they did it, and people pointed out, you know, they've already got this young guard on the roster and this young guard on the roster and this young guard on the roster, but you wouldn't take any of those young guards over Jalen Suggs. So if you want to move one of them, you move one of them, but you're not passing on Jalen Suggs. Yeah, I mean, you drafted Cole Anthony last year, but are you really going to pass on Jalen Suggs because you have Cole Anthony on your roster? Like. No. So I think it was the best case scenario for, for the magic. Um, that that's one of the more interesting young teams. Um, and, and you get Franz Wagner adding to that mix with, with another top 10 pick, uh, the magic, I think one of the, one of the big winners on draft night, just because of how things fell. So Scotty Barnes over Jalen Suggs. I won't call it a big surprise because I don't think it was a surprise. Most people had him going five. He went four. nothing that shocking about that. But there was a surprise, I guess, six picks later. And that's when the Memphis Grizzlies were on the clock. And they used the 10th pick on Zaire Williams out of Stanford. So I got two questions for you here. A, how surprised were you when that happened? And B, even if you were surprised, do you understand it? A little bit surprised only because James Booknight was falling. I've been riding the James Booknight trade. And when the Thunders passed on him at number six, I didn't think he would fall very far, much less all the way to number 11. And when he was there at number 10, I thought Memphis would would go in and select James Booknight. So it, the selection does make sense to me. Zaire Williams 
just because his size, his shot making ability. Uh, it's a, it's a pretty good gamble. I think if you're the Memphis Grizzlies, just thinking long-term, what can he be in the NBA? He's, he's six foot 10 and, and he's a shooting wing like that, that type of skill set just translates at the next level. Now Zaire had a, a pretty rough one year at Stanford averaged 10.7 points per game, uh, shot 29.1% from three point line. Uh, the tape wasn't real pretty. Uh, but I think if you look kind of at, at his pedigrees, former five-star guy, um, long-term potential, I think is still off the charts. And Memphis is taking a huge swing at number 10. I kind of respect it. I was surprised by it. Mm-hmm. Although on my radio show earlier in the day, we did randomly talk about Zaire Williams. I had Jeff Hawkins on as a guest. He's a columnist at the Daily Memphian. He was like, we were actually talking about Orlando. Because I was like, okay, um, we know that, that Cunningham, Mobley, Green, Suggs, Barnes are coming off the board in some order in the top five. Like we're pretty sure of that, or at the very least, none of those guys are going to be available at 10. And then there's a next group of players, and that's that appears to be, you know, at the time, and it did appear to be, Franz Wagner, Moses Moody, Josh Giddy, uh, Jonathan Kaminga, um, you know, guys okay. in that yeah. range, right? And and the the James Book Knight, and the, you know, one of the points Jeff said, he's like, well, what if like Orlando were to reach for Zaire Williams? Like, how, how could you explain that? And I said, well, yeah, I could explain it. I don't know that I'm expecting it, but I I could certainly I- explain it. And then of course it ends up going down, and it's Memphis who ends up taking Zaire Williams, reaching for him according uh, t- to many. Um. It's not what I would have done. Like, I'm not going to sit here and have revisionist history. You're never going to find one version of my mock draft that had Zaire Williams going in the top 10 or to, to you know, just that didn't exist. I would have taken James Booknight. You, you make me in charge of that franchise in that moment. I'm on the clock with the 10th pick. The Memphis Grizzlies are taking James Booknight. That's what I would have done. Um, but that said, I totally understand it because it falls completely in line with what that front office wanted to do in this draft. Like they know they've got something special in 21 year old John Moran. They, they, that's, that's done. He's a franchise point guard, future all-star. And, and, and that is the, the face and core of this entire thing. They know that they think they've got a secondary piece, a Robin to that Batman in Jaron Jackson jr. Now, Jaron struggled with injuries. He didn't look great when he came back from injuries at the end of last season. But in you know, theoretically, they think they got another guy, 21 years old, to run with John Morant into the future. And what they've decided earlier this week is that, man, they really like Jonas Valanciunas. And he was probably their second best player, if not their most important player last season. But he's got one year left on a deal. He's a little ahead of their time frame for when they're going to try to push it through. And if you're not planning on extending him anyway, let's move him, take back some bad contracts and we'll go from 17 to 10 and we'll take a big swing on somebody we think can play into the future is close to age and can play into the future with John Morant, Jaron Jackson jr. Can become either the second best player in that trio, the third best player in that trio or Hey, why not the best player in that trio? Let's aim for that. And so that seemed to be the mindset. And though Zaire Williams, I don't think most people had going in the top 10. 
and certainly didn't have a good one season at Stanford, um, he still represents the big swing. Like in theory, if he becomes what people thought he could be a year ago, like if you never saw him play at Stanford, if he becomes what you thought he could be, then he's exactly the type of thing they're looking for. If you've got your one and you've got your four or five, can you find a big wing who can shoot and dominate from that position to go in between John Jaron? If so, now you got something. Once upon a time, they wanted a shorter version of that, but to be Justice Winslow. I don't know if you heard, didn't work out. So Zion Williams is an even bigger swing of that, I guess. And so I don't mind it. It's not what I would have done, but I understand it. And I can see it working out brilliantly, or I can see it not working out. And the reason I can see it not working out is because lottery picks don't work out all the time. So we'll see. But here's my question, because you study this as much as anybody. Did you have to go from 17 to 10 to get Zaire Williams? Could you have, I, I, I assumed all along, you got to go, you, like, if there's these group of players you're interested in, Jonathan Kaminga, Moses Moody, Josh Giddy, um, and, and, and th- these guys are, are the type of guys who might be available at 10, but definitely won't be available at 17. So if you want to go to 10 to get one of those guys, I understand. Clearly, the Grizzlies thought they had to go to 10 to get Zaire Williams, or possibly they actually wanted to go to 10 to try to get Josh Giddy, and then he just wasn't on the board, and then right. the, Zaire Williams was next on the board. But here's my question to you. Did they have to go from 17 to 10 to get Zaire Williams? I don't think so. I think it, there's a decent chance that he would have been there at number 17. Now, maybe, you know, the Spurs at 12 would have done something and, and made a big swing or the Warriors at 14 or even the Wizards at 15. Um, but there's a good chance that Zaire Williams could have been there at number 17, in which case um, maybe you're just best staying put at number 17 and not moving all the way up. Well, it's actually, um, it's actually, dev- I don't want to say devastating, but it's like yeah. not great. If you could have got him at 17 and you, like the, 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 it's not just moving Jonas Valanciunas, although you moving Jonas Valanciunas does makes you from a roster perspective, it makes you worse next season. It might be better for your future, but it makes you worse next season. And you know, like, it's not, it's not the worst thing in the world to be good. You know, like maybe the Grizzlies weren't going to be great next season with Jonas Valanciunas, but like being good, is kind of fun. Making the playoffs is kind of fun, but it's not just moving him. You take back a bad Eric Bledsoe contract and a bad Steven Adams contract to move up to 10. And if you did all that just to take a guy that you got to got at 17, well, then that was a miscalculation. Yeah. But in a vacuum, um, I think I go back to, I totally understand why you take the swing. Mm-hmm. Um, I did a kind of like a highest upside mock draft earlier this month where I just basically projected who has the highest ceiling based off. Okay. If they don't bust, if they hit their highest possible NBA potential, how good they, how good can they be as NBA players? And Zaire Williams was number 10 on my mock draft. I really think if he hits, if he is the tall, long shot creating wing, in the NBA that he has been billed and has been in the past, he's a top 10 player in this draft. So sure. You maybe could have gotten him at 15 or 16 or even stayed put right where you were and drafted him at number 17. But in a vacuum, this is a guy who I think has top 10 potential in this draft. And, you know, maybe you wanted to get Josh Giddy and, and ended up having to settle for Zaire Williams at number 10. I, I get that. 
Um, but I totally, I'm totally on board. I think with, with going and getting Zaire Williams, just knowing potential wise sky's the limit for this guy. Yeah. And I'm with you. I don't mind it. Um, and here's the truth. We'll never know. Like it's a, it's an unanswerable question. Like, could they have got him at 17? We'll never actually know. And the truth is if he becomes what you envision him becoming, you'll, you'll never care that you moved up to 10 to do it. Uh, and if he's not that, it'll always be a bad decision, no matter whether it, it, it this will be judged on whether Zaire Williams is, is good or bad, you know, whether he lives up to expectations or not. And if he's great, you know, uh, Norland and I talked about this at some point. I don't even remember what we were comparing it to, but I, I, I made the point about Fernando Tatis Jr. Like when the Padres gave him that $330 million contract, whatever it was, way up there, he's 22 years old. And it's like, that's a lot of money to give a baseball player that young, all guaranteed, I mean, every penny guaranteed. And I said, yeah, it's a big number, but like if Fernando Tatis becomes what basically everybody thinks he's going to become, You'll never mind giving him $300 million. You know, you'll be happy that you did it. And you fast forward to July 30th, 2021. If you had to give him $400 million, you would give him $400 million. It doesn't matter. If it works out, it's great. And if it doesn't, it's bad. And the details hardly matter, um, you know, outside of that. So we'll see. Um, But that's the new young core that they're trying to build something special with in Memphis. It is John Morant, Jaron Jackson, and Zaire Williams. So that was a surprise at 10. I don't think anybody had it going like that. And then the next big surprise and perhaps an even bigger surprise came two picks later when the Spurs used the 12th pick on Alabama's Josh Primo. We're going to talk about that next, but first check this out. Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the 2-Way at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. So the biggest lottery surprise, I think, was Josh Primo going 12th to the San Antonio Spurs. Obviously, you didn't expect it. Neither did I. So I won't ask you if you were surprised. We were all surprised. Even Josh Primo was surprised. Did you see? The yes. He said his agent called him and he said, hey, you're going to San Antonio at 12. And he was like, come on, man, stop. Like, they, like they stop playing around with me. Like even Josh Primo was surprised the Spurs wanted to take Josh Primo at 12. So I won't ask you if you were surprised. Let me ask you this. Can you endorse it? Yeah, I think I'm down with it. Um, I'm, I'm kind of digging Josh Primo. This is a guy that was not a feature role uh, at Alabama last season as a freshman. So really good Alabama team won the sec regular season, won the sec postseason, um, And he was just a guy, you know, he was a role player. He, he was essentially, you know, like a, a spot up shooter, a guy who was a really good outside shooter. Um, 
and and that was his role. He served in his role really well. Shot 30, 38.1% from the three-point line. Only averaged 8.1 points per game last season. And uh, but he but he's really kind of impressed, I think, a lot of teams during this NBA draft process. And obviously going number 12, he impressed the Spurs quite a bit. Um, showed a lot at the NBA draft combine, kind of showing what he can do on and off the ball. We already know he's a good scorer, but what can he do on the ball, I think, was was kind of impressive um, from what we saw at the Combine. So, um, yeah, I mean, obviously, it's a huge surprise that he goes up to number 12. I think we had him pretty comfortably in the 20s. Um, and so it's way higher than we expected. But I don't think it's the same surprise as, like, Cam Johnson going 11 or whatever it was a few years ago, or even Jalen Smith going uh, inside the lottery last year. Um, I, I, I think it's a reasonable uh, pick at number 12. This is the youngest prospect in this year's draft, Josh Primo. And so there's a, there's a lot of projection. Uh, the Spurs are probably going to end up be, being rebuilding type of team uh, over the next few years. So I can, I can get down with, with Josh Primo at number 12 at Spurs. Yeah, I gave it on CBS Sports HQ a C-plus grade. I stayed completely away from D's this time. <laughs> Just not fun, just not doing it again. So uh, completely away from these, but I went C plus, if only because it was so out of line with my big board, with any mock draft I'd ever done. Like I didn't have Josh Primo going in the first round. Like, and most people, I don't know, I don't know if most people, lots of people had him in the twenties. Um, I don't think hardly anybody had him much higher than that. I, I can't imagine there was a mock draft that existed that had him twelfth, or a big board that existed that had him twelfth. At least I never saw one. So I, I didn't think I. You know, I, I, if I didn't think this player should be selected anywhere around here and I'm the one handing out the grades, then I'll go C plus as a disapproval. But, you know, I, I, I can be wrong, but, you know, and I'd be happy to be wrong. And if you're looking for the main reason, you know, any of us would be wrong about you took Josh Primo. Well, it's because of the franchise that took him like they'll make it right. You know, like that, that's the thing. Like there are a few franchises, Toronto, San Antonio where when they do something, even if it is wildly out of line with the, what you would have done or what other franchises would have done, you almost got to go, well, let's see, because they got a, a really good uh, track record. So like if Sacramento would have taken Josh Primo 12th, I'd have been like F minus, what are you doing? But when it's the Spurs, like you got to, you better not box yourself in to this awful old takes exposed situation because there's a decent chance they'll develop them. They'll stick with him and you'll look up in five years and you'll go, Ooh, wow. That wasn't a bad pick. That was actually the still of the lottery. Yeah. And that was an interesting point in the draft too, because you go Zaire Williams at number 10, James Booknight at number 11, Josh Primo, the youngest prospect in this draft at number 12 to the Spurs. And then Chris Duarte at number 13, the Pacers, the oldest prospect in this draft. And then 14 to finish off the lottery, Moses Moody to the Warriors. So that was uh that was kind of a roller coaster portion of the draft. Um, just with Zaire and, and James Booknight, even going back to back. That's going to be kind of a what if for a few years, I think, even for Hornets fans and for Grizzlies fans. So that was uh, that was definitely an interesting spot. You know, uh, something a lot of people don't know is that Josh Primo's mother graduated high school with Chris Duarte. I can't be right. <laughs> Are you thinking about it like that? Yeah. <laughs> It's one o'clock. I'm like, 
I'm trying to do my math in my head. It can't be right. Josh Primo's mother did not graduate high school with Chris Duarte, but they, 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 they're not too far apart. Duarte being 24 years old and Josh Primo just being uh, 18 years old. But yeah, like, you know, I, I probably said this seven times on CBS Sports HQ tonight. It's not what I would have done, but I'm not going to have big, decisive opinions about six, six shooters who are 18 years old. I mean, a guy is 18 years old, six foot six and shot 38.1% from three point range. He made 43 of 113 as a role player at Alabama. Like if you start speaking in absolutes about six, six shooting 18 year olds, there's a decent chance you'll, you'll look ridiculous. Like he, he might not ever develop into what they think he can develop into, but if you want to have decisive negative opinions about prospects on draft night, they probably need to be older players who are so obviously physically limited, but six, six shooters who are only 18 years old. Like I, I don't, I, you know, I'm willing to leave the window open that this actually looks good someday, even if it was a bit surprising on the night that it happened. All right. Biggest steal of the first round. In other words, Oh boy, I can't believe that franchise picking in that place ended up with that guy. They should be thrilled about the way this night unfolded. Oh, it's it's Moses Moody at number 14 to me. The Warriors getting Moses Moody. This is a guy who I thought was was potentially going inside the top 10. Um, to me, I think just a perfect fit for the Warriors. Um, three and D type of, of role player who can step in and play, I think right away uh, for, for the Warriors was a really good three point shooter last season, leading Arkansas in scoring. Um, I think one of the better spot up shooters in this draft, and he's got some potential, I think as a playmaker too, but um, long-term, I think he's a good fit for this franchise and maybe will grow into a bigger role in golden state. But even right now, next season, uh, this is a guy who I think can, can step in and really make an impact early. So was pretty shocked that he fell all the way to 14. I was crossing my fingers, hoping that he would slip to 16 for the thunder, but did not happen. But, uh, that's a, that's a really good pick for the warriors. And was pretty surprised he fell that far. To me, there were, there were two in the lottery. Um, one was Moses Moody. I think that's obvious. Like most, yeah. I had him as a top 10 prospect. If you can get him at 14. I mean, we just talked about Josh Primo being an 18 year old role player at Alabama. Well, Moses Moody was a 18 year old best player at Arkansas SEC freshman of the year. Like he wasn't just a prospect. He was a player and he didn't have a great NCAA tournament, but three and D guy scored, um, you know, made shots at a, at a, at a, a respectable level from the perimeter um, getting him at 14, I thought was awesome. And the other one was, we've touched on it. James book night, 11 to Charlotte. I thought that was great. You know, I, I did not think he would be available at 11. None of the betting markets thought he'd be available anywhere close to 11. So if we're going steals in the first round, I think in the lottery, at least it's book night at 11 Moses Moody at 14. Let me ask you real quick about golden state's other lottery pick. They took Jonathan Kaminga at yeah. seven. Now, this is one where, boy, I bet this was hard in that room because on my big board at that moment, Johnny Kaminga is the best player available, highest upside available. In a vacuum, I don't think there's any doubt that's the guy you take. When you're the Golden State Warriors and you've got a getting up there Steph, getting up there Clay, getting up there Draymond, you don't know what the window is for them. And you just watch the Lakers add Russell Westbrook. So now, you know, they got LeBron, AD, Russ, 
The Clippers are still the Clippers. The Suns are the Suns. The Jazz are the Jazz. The Nuggets are the Nuggets. Not to mention the Nets are the Nets over in the East, and the Bucks are your reigning champions. You probably want with the seventh pick, you probably want to get somebody who can help you next season. And though Jonathan Kaminga could theoretically be the best player from this draft in four years, he's not going to be one of the best four players in the draft next from this draft next year, probably because he's just 18 years old. I just wonder how difficult that was for them in the room when you're trying to weigh the best prospect available is Jonathan Kaminga, but he's not the best prospect available to help us next season. I wonder how you, you split that up. Right. Yeah. They, they essentially just took the best prospect and were able to get Moses Moody, I think, to kind of offset it. They got someone who I think can compete right away. And then Kaminga is more of a project. Um, it's it's really interesting. Like had they drafted Franz Wagner at number seven, I think he would have had a, a, probably a more immediate impact than Kaminga might. Kaminga is super interesting, obviously six foot eight. He's a wing. He averaged 16 points per game last season in the G, G League Ignite, but only shot 24.6% from three. Um, still pretty raw overall. I'm not entirely sure he's going to be not only a difference maker for the Warriors next season, but like I'm not, I'm not entirely sure he's in the rotation next season. And if you're the Warriors, I think that's obviously the 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 battle going on in in the front office is. How, how much do you prioritize next season knowing what you have back and the potential that you have next season versus, you know, Kaminga could be special in a few years, but I don't think we're talking about next season. So um, in a way I respect it because you're sticking to your board. You, you think long-term this guy can be your guy. Um, but in a way I feel like you're kind of punting too on next season or, or at the very least uh, you're, you're knowing you're taking him knowing that this guy may not be a complete difference maker and a guy who can really, really help you um, in, in pursuit of a championship next season. Yeah. To me, that was one of the more fascinating decisions in the top 10, because I am usually take the best guy available. Like who do you, who, okay. You're on, you're on the clock. You're in the lottery. Who do you think is going to have the best career? Who's going to be the best play, not the best player next year, but the best Look back on it. This guy had the best career. Who's that guy? That's the guy you need to take. And I do think that's Kaminga. But with this very specific set of circumstances connected to the Warriors right now, I would have at least had to think about moving off of that. And I might have still done exactly what they did, but I'd at least had to think about, um, I'd at least had to think about, about, you know, maybe veering from that a little bit in the spirit of, we got to capitalize on this Steph Clay Draymond thing right now, but it was just an interesting little early draft moment. So biggest steals. Uh, we both agree. Moses Moody at 14 with golden state, James book at 11 to Charlotte. Who's the guy who slipped to the second round. Let's just put it this way. The, who's the second round pick you think is going to have the best NBA career. Oh boy. Okay. Let me step on my, uh, my announcement stage here and go with uh miles miles mcbride from west virginia this is a guy that i had on in top 20 on my big board uh a guy who spent two seasons in college was one of the most fun and exciting guards in all of college basketball he ended up going number 36 uh the thunder drafted him and he's reportedly traded to the to the new york knicks um 
Miles McBride is is just kind of the guy that I I want to ride with if I'm if I'm going to war. Um, he's he's six foot two, so he's maybe a tad bit undersized. Uh, six foot eight wingspan can can shoot it at a really high level and just get it gets after it defensively. And the Knicks need guard help. Um, I I think he is a guy who can help them in the short term and and maybe in the long term it can be a, a guy who steps in and eventually becomes a starter. So. Uh, at, uh, at 36 in this draft, I was pretty shocked to see him go in the second round. And I thought that was really, really good pick by, by the Knicks there. Yeah. Miles McBride is, um, one of the five players that I had going in the first round who didn't go in the first round, 25 of my 30 actually went in the first round. What the one that didn't is miles McBride. The two other players I'd bring up if the question is, who are the second round picks? I think they're going to have the best careers. They're also guys I had in the first round, obviously, and, and they didn't go in the first round. Um, one is Jared Butler. Mm-hmm. Now, I understand it. There's medical concerns there. The NBA cleared him, but it doesn't mean that your doctor cleared him. This happens all the time in the NBA draft. Like the NBA says, yeah, you can take this guy if you want to. And then your doctors say, no, you can't. We're not doing this. Um, I'm not certain how many franchises, if any franchises did that with Jared, but it is well documented. There is a, a, a medical concern there to some degree. And that might have been the type of thing that, you know, sent him down to 40th as opposed to 25th or 32nd or 38th or whatever, either way, 40th to the jazz. And it just seems like a perfect fit. I mean, mm-hmm. think about Utah, Donovan Mitchell, Mike Conley, guards who can play on or off the ball and shoot. Well, what is Jared Butler? He's a guard who can play on or off the ball and really, really shoot it. Um, I just think that's perfect. And sometimes, you know this as well as I, who's going to be the second round pick who has a a really nice career. It's sometimes the guy who gets in the right situation. And it just feels like Utah surrounded by real pros like, and I, I know Mike Conley's a free agent, but like, well, you know, Donovan Mitchell's there no matter what. There's a lot of thought that Mike will be back there. I mean, like real professionals who go about stuff the right, like get in, get involved with those guys. Like imagine being a rookie, just won a national championship, most outstanding player in the final four. And now you get to go learn and work with, learn from and work with Donovan Mitchell and Mike Conley in theory. That's a really great spot. So um, I know on some level, Jared must have been disappointed to, you know, still be available at 40, but sometimes slipping in a draft, but ending up in a great place is actually a good thing, even if it doesn't feel like it on draft night. And I think this has got a good chance to be an example of that. Another guy, and I, I think most people were, and this is probably if you went and, you know, did a consensus mock draft, where was this guy projected? And then, oh, wow, this is where he went. And the distance between these two numbers, probably Sharif Cooper, right? Mm -hmm. He goes all the way down to 48th at Atlanta. And, you know, I'm assuming most of the concerns are that he's little, he's little bitty. And it's hard to be little bitty and special in that league. I'm sure there's other stuff, but that's, that, that might be where it starts. But I guess I'm not shocked he slipped to the second round, but all the way to 48 was a bit surprising. And, you know, I guess it could be boom or bust. You know, like he could either be an incredible, you know, playmaker and distributor and shot creator in the NBA as a relatively small person, or he could just be a small person that doesn't make it in the NBA because he's a small person. Yeah. Yeah. But you have to bet on the talent too. And especially 
at that point in the draft um, makes a ton of sense. This is a guy who has a freshman average 20.2 points per game and 8.8, 8.1 assists uh, per, per game. Now he shot just 22.8% from three. I think that's a, that's a huge concern too. And I think that's probably at least a huge part, if not uh, one of the bigger parts for why he slipped in addition to him being a little bitty um, just, just the shot I think is, it, it needs some refinement. He, he kind of sits back in his stance and it, it doesn't totally look right. It needs a little bit of a, an overhaul or a refinement at the very least. But um, I actually, I love that pick for, for the Hawks. They also got Jalen Johnson in the first round. I thought that was pretty good value at, at number 20 overall. This is a guy who was, was a top 10 borderline top 10 prospect coming into the draft. Um, two guys who I think can be really good playmakers for their position. And um, I, I like the Cooper call out because I thought that was really good value as well in the second round. Yeah. It can't be common. I mean, I haven't had time to look this up, but I've, and, and I'll probably never look it up, but it can't be common to get two one and done former five-star prospects with the 20th and 48th pick. That can't be a normal thing. No. First time ever, according to Chris Duarte's mother. <laughs> so I would, uh, yeah, it, it, it's, it's, if it's not the first time ever, it's, it's gotta be pretty rare. And I'm with you on the Jalen Johnson pick. Um, you know, I, I, I wouldn't have touched him in the top 10. There was times where people had in the mock drafts going eight, the ninth and stuff like that. I was like, I, you know, that was too high for me, but at some point in a draft, um, the way Eric Bossy explained it on, on uh, CBS sports HQ tonight. And I thought this was accurate. You know, it's a, it's a, a, a a cost benefit analysis. Like, okay, we're picking 20th. What else are we going to get here? So why not take a swing on a guy who a year ago would have been a top 10 pick? Like, I don't, I'm not thrilled that he quit at Duke. That does make me wonder if there's some stuff going on there. Um, You know, that he quit after his role got reduced. The shot is problematic, but you got a guy who would have gone top 10 a year ago tonight and he's available at 20. Why not take a big swing? For different reasons, it's very similar to what Denver did with Michael Porter Jr. a few years mm-hmm. ago. Denver just got at a point in the draft where they said, all right, what do we like? Th- this guy who some people thought a year ago would have been the number one pick in the draft is sitting here. And he, his back may never allow him to be anything close to what he was supposed to be. But like, what if there's a 50% chance he becomes the best player from this draft or a top three player from this draft? Is it worth spending this pick in the teens on that guy? They concluded that it was, and I endorsed it at the time. And with the benefit of hindsight, clearly was. Michael Porter Jr. has developed into a really nice NBA player. And this is, again, very different because it's not got nothing to do with medical issues, medical red flags, but it's the same type of thing. All right, this guy is available to us for some reasons that aren't great, but he's available to us at 20. Let's take a big swing. And if it works out, woohoo. And if it doesn't work out, okay, what else were we going to get it to? Go look at the history of the 20th pick in the NBA draft. It's not great. You probably ain't missing out on much. So I I thought Atlanta did well. You know, they yeah. they they had two one and done five-star prospects with the 20th pick and the 48th pick. You concerned at all and and this is probably one you, you got to be a little closer to the situation to, to know whether it should be concerning or not, but Shreve Cooper's from Atlanta. 
going back to Atlanta. Like I, I, uh, on one hand, that's that's often like considered a great story. Like in the in the hometown franchise drafted you. Like Io DeSumo is good, you know played at Illinois and now he's mm-hmm. going to the Chicago Bulls. It's stuff like this can sometimes be a great story. Stuff like this can also like not be very it, to be a, a a teenage NBA player in your hometown. I can see how that might get complicated. And at the very least, I think if you're Atlanta, you got to figure out whether that's going to be a good thing or a bad thing. It, it would be complicated in your hometown, especially if your hometown is Atlanta. That's, that's, <laughs> that's my answer. Especially if you're a teenager. Now I'm sure Sharif is, is a great kid and I'm sure it won't be a problem, but uh, I know as a teenager, if I was living in Atlanta and I was a millionaire, that would, uh, that would present some interesting challenges for sure. It, 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 it would have for me. I mean, yeah. I, I was living in my hometown, um, you know, as a teenager and, you know, had like $45 and it was a problem for me. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know what it would be like if you had millions, but I, I wish him and the Atlanta Hawks all the luck in the world. Let me ask you this. Um, can you remember, and I asked this from a sincere place, cause I don't think I can a lesser known college player picked in the first round than Santi Aldama from Loyola, Maryland. I obviously live in Memphis. I've got a lot of friends who are Grizzlies fans. The Grizz moved up from 40 to 30 to take him. And I swear to God, there is not a single friend of mine who's a Grizzlies fan who had any idea who he was. In fact, they were like, did we just draft an international? They had no, he is an international player. He's from Spain, but they had no idea he ever played college basketball. And as I started thinking about it, like usually college, um, college players who go in the first round, you've at least heard of them for one of two reasons. Either they played at a power conference school or B they were some sort of mid-major star. And you just sort of like Jason Preston, I guess would be an example of that. Right. Santi, Aldama is was neither. He was uh, the best player on a team that finished six and eleven from the Patriot League and finished two hundred fourteenth at Ken Palm. Like I really think you'd have a hard time finding a college player drafted in the first round that created more of a who is this moment <laughs> in recent draft history. In fact, after the draft, I was on YouTube uh, just googling. Because yeah, like on radio, I'm going to talk a lot about Sante Aldama tomorrow, or at least I'm going to spend. So, so I was like, all right, I'm sitting here waiting for whatever. Uh, I, I'll watch some, you know, I'll watch some film on him. And I, the one of the first things that came up was like somebody else was doing a draft show tonight, just like we were doing a draft show tonight. And they went to their analyst, the person, I don't want to name, I'm not trying to embarrass anybody, but they went to their person who is supposed to then break down this person, this player who was just drafted 30th. And the analyst, I swear to God, you can go find it if you want to. He was like, I don't know who this person is. He <laughs> was like, okay, well, thanks for being here. Like, I could at least, uh, you know, talk through some bullet points on CBS Sports HQ. Sure, yeah. But, but when's the last time at a college, a, a college player drafted in the first round completely stumped an analyst on an NBA draft show? Because I just watched it happen on YouTube. Yeah, it's probably the first time for sure. Um, yeah, I... NBA draft analysts aren't necessarily breaking down Patriot League tape during the offseason. So I guess my point is, even if even if, let's say there is a Patriot League player who is capable of going in the first round, 
you probably do know that player. You probably yeah. had like, this, this, this is sort of, it. this falls into the category we're discussing because like mid-major slash low-major player on a terrible team in a, with all due respect, not great conference, who basically nobody had going in the first round. And so yeah. like, there was no reason for a casual basketball fan to have any idea that this person, no reason for a casual basketball fan to, to know that this person existed. Yes. Yeah. And and it's not like he hasn't been productive either. Um, oh yeah. He, he, he put up big numbers. Yeah. Average 19 points in the last two seasons, 9.2 rebounds per game. He's six foot 11. He's pretty interesting. Uh, Sam Vecini kind of tipped me off to him um, on the, on the game theory podcast has, has talked a lot about him. So I'm aware of him. I think NBA casual fans probably aren't aware of him. And uh, for someone who's been as dominant as he has in college, uh, yeah, probably like the, the least amount of actual buzz and like, wait, who is this type of guy? Um, yeah, for like, I don't think anyone had him in the first round. Yeah, I didn't see that anywhere. I'm not no. saying it didn't exist. I'm just saying I never laid my eyes on it. Because if I'm being honest, I usually, you know, I'll go through, you know, Sam's mock draft, Jonathan Gavoni's mock draft. Like, I, I'm not one of those people who tries to act like I don't look at other people's stuff. Like, oh, I don't, I just focus on my own. Like, yeah, you're a liar. Most people don't do that. You at least want to make sure, hey, is there somebody, somebody's got going in the lottery that I'm not even, not on my radar. I don't want to miss this. So like, I look at as many as I can look at and I take notes and I make lists and he was never on my list. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> now keep in mind, I only do a 30 player mock draft. I ain't trying to do six. I ain't trying to do 60 like you. Um, so I'm, I'm only doing 30 and I'll probably have 45 players for 30, but uh, he, he never showed up on my f- list of 45 or even 50. So let me ask you this. And again, it's an unanswerable question or, or at least in the sense that there's no way to know for sure, but certainly it, it it, it's reasonable to wonder, okay, you're the Grizzlies, you're picking 40th. Do you really need to offer two second other second round picks? So three total to move up 30th to take a Loyola, Maryland player most people had never heard of. Well, I will just say that on our consensus board, um, we had him number 72 on our top 100 rankings. So to me, I think there's a chance that he could have even gone undrafted. So probably not. Now, maybe we'll give Memphis, you know, the benefit of the doubt here and say, okay, maybe they had some intel. They knew that he was going to be off the board at 38 and they needed to make a move up or 32 or whatever it was. That's very possible. Um, we don't have that intel, but just based off the, based off what we know, I would have been pretty shocked if he was not still on the board at number 40 in this draft. So another aspect of this that is probably worth noting is that this is the second year in a row. This front office in Memphis has traded to get the 30th pick. And I don't think that's a coincidence. And it's because you lock somebody in, you control them at a very low number relative to other NBA numbers. Whereas if you hit, so obviously the point of all this is you want to hit on these guys, right? Well, if you hit on the 30th pick, it's actually much cheaper than if you hit on the 31st pick or the 40th pick, because you're not locked into these slots the way you are with a second round pick, you're not locked into these slots like you are on a first round pick. In other words, you take a, a guy 40th, exact same guy, 
has the exact same first two years. If he's a second round pick, if he's a 40th pick, you got to pay him now. If he's the 30th pick, a first round pick, you still got him under control. And so there's some thought that, yeah, the Grizzlies think they probably could have had him at 40. But if they think he's going to hit, like, let's go take him at 30, lock him into this contract, and and we control him for longer, and we've got him on a better number. I just thought that was an interesting possibility that when people, when everybody's screaming, God, they could have got that guy at 40. They're mm-hmm. probably, they might, there's a scenario where they're sitting back inside FedEx Forum going, yeah, we could have got him at 40, but we wanted him at 30 for reasons just laid out. I just think that's something that I had a point that, that I don't know, somebody threw it at me. I thought it was an interesting point. It's calling your shot a little bit too, because the, the flip side of that is you have a guy who's not going to hit and he's on a a deal for several years. Now it's a, a rookie scale deal. So, you know, he's not, he's not breaking your cap, but you're still locked into a guy who, if he doesn't hit, you still have him on your roster and you're still paying him to potentially not be a, a high level contributor. So did you have time tonight to like, okay, X amount of these guys I had going in the first round, went in the first round, all of that stuff. Have you broken it down yet? I haven't. No, no. Um, I went and did mine and like I was getting killed, not killed, but goofed on, laughed at um, because my job on CBS Sports Q, HQ was to give the grades, right? Like, uh, yep. okay, and with the number one pick, the Detroit Pistons took Kate Cunningham. Now let's go to Gary Parish. How do you grade it? I'm like, well, A plus. You know, they, they, that, that was the guy to pick. And so it was like A plus. And then it's like, well, no, the second pick, Houston Rockets select Jalen Green. Let's go to GP. What's the grade? Uh, a plus. I mean, that's who I would have picked. So like a, a plus. All right. Third pick Evan Mobley, the Cavaliers GP wait, a plus. I ended up out of 30 grades in the first round. I gave 14 a plus grades. <laughs> and so my, my hosts were killing me. Such <laughs> a nice teacher. Well, they were, yeah, I know like uh, Eric bossy. Every it was, was goofing on me. Um, random viewers were goofing, but I was like, ever, I believe every single time I gave out an A plus, it was because I had my top 30 right in front of me. And when they would come off the board, I would put them in bold, right? So bold K Cunningham, bold Jalen green. And then the, you know, whoever is the highest on the list, not in bold, that's the guy that's the best available on my board. And I believe 14 of the 30 times the NBA franchise that was picking, picked the guy who was best available on my board. So what am I supposed to do when they take the guy I would take? Hey GP, who would you take right now? Right now I would take Davion Mitchell and they take Davion Mitchell. Like what am I supposed to do other than a plus you're doing exactly what I would do. So I, I look like a very easy teacher, but you know, the, the order got a little squirrely outside of the top three, but I will say the players came off like the players that you thought were supposed to come off in the top 10 mostly came off in the top 10 yep. and the players you thought were supposed to come off in the top 20. They mostly came up in the top 20 evidence being this. And I don't say this to brag because I, I'm certain yours is very similar, if not better, but eight of the first 10 players selected in this draft were in my top 10. Mm-hmm. 18 of the first 21 players selected were in the top 21 of my final mock draft. 25 
of the first 30 players selected were in the top 30 of my final mock draft. And all 30 players that were in my final mock draft were picked in the top 48. And again, I'm not saying that to brag, unless it actually is better than some other people's, then I, I will. I just don't know it yet. But my assumption is that, you know, Sam's is similar. Jonathan Gavoni's is similar. Yours is similar. Um, you know, you might have somebody going eighth who goes 11th and somebody going 12th who goes ninth. But in general, and I feel like this is usually true, the players, if you group them, they typically come off in the groups that they're supposed to come off in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there were, there were a few surprises. Um, Book Knight falling a little bit later. Primo going a little bit earlier. Uh, Zaire going probably a lot earlier. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think you can be excused for giving out uh, a lot of A-plus grades. Like the, for the most part, um, there were a few surprises, yes. But, you know, for the most part, I feel like the first round mostly went as we anticipated it would. Um, besides, obviously, Santi Aldama going at number 30 uh, to the Grizzlies. Yeah, like I, I, there were five players who went in the first round who I didn't have in the first round. The biggest miss was Josh Primo. Mm-hmm. I didn't have a first rounder, and he, he goes 12th. Bones Highland I didn't have. Jaden Springer I had all along and then took him out in my final mock draft. Dayron Sharp I never had, and Santi Aldama I never even considered. And the five guys I had in the first round that didn't get selected in the first round was Jared Butler, Sharif Cooper, Io DeSumo, Miles McBride, and Jeremiah Robinson Earl. And I was surprised, and we can get out of here after this, but I was surprised DeSumo went as deep as he went. I, I knew he was not going to be a lottery pick, probably not in the early 20s, but even the betting markets had him in the 20s. And when you combine, I don't know, I like him. I like him as a player. I like him as a prospect. I was surprised he lasted as long as he lasted. I was too. I, I thought he was a guy who was going to end up going in that like 20 to 25 range. Um, so that, that, that was one of the surprises to me going 38 to the Chicago bulls. I think it's a great fit. Um, I think he's has a chance to, to compete right away with, with Chicago. Um, but yeah, he's a little bit older as a prospect, you know, spent three seasons in college, um outside of last season he's he's not really been widely widely regarded as like a really good three-point shooter he's he's made a lot of strides last season he had 39 percent from three um and i i think norlander kind of said it best when when we did our mock draft was he's he's a b-level everything but he's not an a-level anything so he does a lot of things really really well at a really high level he, he competes on both ends of the floor on defense he, he can really get after you on the ball um being able to distribute and kind of lead your offense. He, he can do that at a high level, but I'm not, you know, I'm not entirely convinced that he's an NBA starting point guard either. So um, how high you want to use draft capital on someone like that. Um, it, it, I think it makes sense. If you look at it in, in that way, how he would slip to the second round. I, I still ride with Io Desunmu. That's a guy that I think can, can win in the NBA. Um, we obviously had him in, in the first round range. So was a little bit surprised to see him go in the second round, but um, yeah, that was uh, that was an interesting one there for sure. All right. Have you done your 2022 mock draft yet? No, I'm waiting to see what, uh, what yours looks like. Then I'm just going to cheat off of you. I am. I've, I've got to do it. I've got to do it like right now. I'm so tired. I, I've got the framework uh, for my for my mock draft. I, I don't have it completely filled out. I think I've got like a top fourteen right now. So yeah, like I've, I've uh, <clears throat> I can tell you 
Paulo Bencaro is going first. Chet Holmgren's going second. And after that, I got some things to figure out. But that's the other thing. Like, um, I, I, I glanced at it the other day. Um, I didn't make notes on it, but I'll do it before I write this version. Because on some level, somebody will, would think, yeah, so on July 30th, 2021, you're going to try to tell me what the lottery of the 2022 NBA draft is. And the answer is yes. And then the question would be, but why? And the answer would be because you'll click on it. And so will a million other people, um, you know, that, 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 that's the actual answer. But beyond that, here's the truth. You, you do know yeah. who, who the top five picks are going to be like, you, you know, like I went, I, I glanced at it the other day and I, I did this in on, in November, which was when the night of the 2020 in, NBA draft. So in November, um, not quite a year in advance of the next draft because of the pandemic and the, the schedule moving around, but before college basketball season even started and like at the top in some order, it was Scotty Barnes and, and Kate Cunningham and Jalen green. And, um, you know, I, I think maybe six of the top seven picks, were top seven picks, you know, something very close to that. So, you know, when, when you look at these 2022 NBA mock drafts, all this way in advance, um, they're going to be, trust me, there will be somebody in the top 10 who just doesn't turn into a top 10. And there will be somebody not on your radar who turns into a lottery pick. But for the most part, the guys at the top, we, we actually do already know who they're going to be. Um, and, and that, that is, that is true. Um, more often than not, basically every single year. So I'm going to go work on that. You'll do yours whenever you do yours, and then uh, we'll catch up again real soon. I appreciate it. One last question for you. How how much did you wrestle Paolo over Chet? Not at all. Not at all. Okay. I didn't either, but I think consensus right now is Chet Chet number one. So I just – I'm taking Paolo, yeah. I'll never forget I was at USA Basketball two years ago. It was, it was roughly two years ago. And I was sitting with, let's just say, a blue blood assistant coach, one of the biggest programs in the country. And I guess Paulo was going into his junior year of high school. So he just finished his sophomore year of high school. And the coach said, that dude could start for us right now. And at the time, the coach had a preseason top 10 team. He said he could start for us right now after his sophomore year of high school. And since then, all he's done is gotten bigger, stronger, better. I, I think it sounds like I'm doing a Kanye West song now. <laughs> but oh, <they're> better. <laughs> but I, I love him. Absolutely love him. And, and you know, there are some question marks about how Chet's going to, you know, translate to the NBA, although I'm going to have him second. So I'm, I'm betting on him. But uh, I'll go Paulo number one. Chet two. And I'll figure out the rest, hopefully, before I fall asleep at my desk. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Macy Oteague, legend. Shouts to Lauren now. And thank you guys once again for listening to the Island College Basketball Podcast in the middle of the dumbest pandemic of my entire lifetime. If you're not subscribed, please go subscribe anywhere you subscribe to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts. We'd appreciate it. While you're there, rate it five stars. If you got 25 seconds. Type some nice words. It really does help us. We appreciate it. And we'll talk to you again real soon. Until then, take care. What's up, y'all? 
This is four-time NBA champ Andre Iguodala. Yo, and this is his best friend, the Ohio State legend, Evan Marcel Turner the first. Every Wednesday, we drop a new episode on our show, Point Four. We're talking basketball, business, and all the culture in between. From locker room stories to some basketball analysis from those who've been in the game. Okay. Now, it is a do-bet. Do averaging 29 and 11. God, shit. what it take to be an all-star? A win. Subscribe to Point Four, the podcast, so you don't miss a thing.